This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. What's up, boss? You believe now? You, you, hold on, hold on, hold on, oh no. Do you believe that? Huh? Oh no, no, no. I read through that bull junk you wrote down. I read through that. I sifted through all that. Yeah. Oh no. Come on. Do you believe? You don't believe. You just answered it. You don't believe. Next question. What's up, boss? That, of course, was the voice of Deion Sanders, head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes, following their stunning victory in Fort Worth, overcoming uh, what at least was perceived as a 20-and-a-half-point underdog, three-touchdown well, underdog. It, it uh, was, in fact. It was, uh, in fact. But in the, some uh, circles, it was more than that. The gap between the two teams, not as much. Sandy Clough back. Uh, you were down yeah. in the heart of Texas at that game. Before we get into the game in particular, I remember talking about it a little bit the week prior that if you were a TCU fan, there had to be a small about a pit in your stomach before this game because the only thing that could go right was your team blew the doors off of Colorado, a team that was so essentially unpredictable that even Sonny Dykes talked about not watching any film from last year because there was, in his words, no point. Oh, and he was right about that. They didn't do that, obviously. Colorado sticks with them, uh, and we'll get into all the details of it, but they win this game. And I'm, I'm just curious how it felt in that arena with the fans of both teams. There were a lot of Buffalo fans present, uh, traveling very number, well. Fair number. Uh, this is a good sign for the Big well. 12 return. Uh, we, we were at uh, a, a tailgate party uh, prior to the game. Uh, uh, I, I was alongside a couple of friends of mine. We all went down. We had gone to Birmingham last October for Alabama, Texas A&M, and uh, we took the trip down to uh, Fort Worth, this year, and I I just felt uh, even at, at the beginning of of the game before CU scored on its first drive, pretty good start for the new Dion era in the sense that the first defensive series three and out, and it wasn't so good after that until the very end defensively, but the first offensive series drive down the field score in seemingly routine fashion and they replicated that scoring drive many times over through the rest of the contest i was impressed that there was electricity in the air and it wasn't coming from the tcu side Uh, all the electricity was coming from the colorado side and there was a stunned silence from the, the tcu group and we were sitting about eight rows up from the end zone on the closed end. We were a lot closer to the CU sideline than the TCU sideline, but we were sitting in a section made up for the most part of TCU parents, parents of players. Very, very nice people. They were very, very antsy almost from the outset. When they saw Colorado score easily on that first series, they never lost that feeling of uneasiness. Even when TCU several times took the lead in a game that was as good a seesaw battle as I've seen in recent memory on any level. 
I thought the fourth quarter was as good a fourth quarter as you can be privileged to see. It it doesn't get any better than that. And you're you're just you're you're sitting there and there there are a few CU people scattered in the section, but it's basically TCU people and they're just they're stunned. And you know, they bicker about a call or two here and there, but it really wasn't it, it they were just amazed at how good and how poised and how patient CU was. And we did tape the game, the three of us. So we went back and watched it later on, and it was even more apparent the electricity had to be there to feel that. But the patience on the part of the players and, yes, the coaching staff right up to the head coach, his patience during the game, they never wavered when they fell behind. And I would think for a new group, even even a group as completely turned over from last year as this group is, there would have been some sign of, I mean, they're up 24-14. They're playing essentially the perfect game in almost the middle of the third quarter, a little less than halfway through the third quarter. And TCU scores two touchdowns on three possessions and goes ahead 28-24. And it you're feels like it might slip it, away. It, it, it might be slipping away. Yeah. But you know what the mood was? Among the TCU fans, I sensed, even after they went ahead, 28-24, and then they went ahead again, and then they went ahead again. They they would have been thrilled just to get out of there with any kind of win, and the CU fans are saying, this is great. You need already, you already won. Win or lose, point proven. Because we talked about this before you left, that even if the Buffs uh, kept it very close, for the most part of the game, and then it, the lead slipped away at the end, you would still consider that, like, that's an outstanding performance. Uh, they did quite the opposite and continued to grind it out. Now, some of it, I think, we'll, we'll get into the game, obviously. The TCU also has a new offensive coordinator who I think got caught in a very human trap of trying to prove that he's as creative as the previous well, offensive coordinator. Cute. He got a little cute at the end. Right, and he got could have been running the, the ball. But they didn't lose the game on offense. Oh, no. TCU, you start to think about it. And uh, I got that. TCU we were, we ran for 262 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, there, there wasn't anything particularly <laughs> wrong with their offense. I didn't no. think the quarterback was great. And you see why Duggan kept his job last year. Even after Morris got healthy. Morris had been the starter, was hurt in the opener against CU, Mm -hmm. placed by Duggan, but Morris gets healthy. And Sonny Dykes was coach of the year last year for a good reason. He stuck with with the quarterback that had been playing. No, you can't lose your job due to injury. Happens all the time. Nonsense. And yet the TC fans I was talking to said, let's see. We got bludgeoned by Kansas State in the Big 12 championship game last year. We beat Michigan, but we gave up 45. We got rolled by Georgia. We gave up 65. And we're going to give up at least 30 today. And this was going on when it was 28-24 TCU. 
we can't stop anybody, and we haven't been able to stop anybody in the last four football games we've played against pretty high-caliber opposition that surprisingly to all of us, including the University of Colorado, alongside Kansas State, Michigan, and Georgia, three of the top 20 teams in the country this year, and all three were even better, I suspect, last year than they were this year. CU had as easy a time with their defense. I mean, the TCU people were saying to me, is that we knew our defense was bad, but nobody has played as well as Shadir Sanders, at no. quarterback, has played against us in any game last year, including the last three. And he, he was a marvel. And the athletic feat of the year for me, because I was there. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And I know how there hot may, it there was. There may not be a better play. Especially in uh, the second yeah, half. Performance, top to I know how hot it was. And it started to get humid in the second half, too. And the temperature on the field was over 130 degrees. And this kid, Travis Hunter, I have never snaps. seen anything like it. And I have seen players play on both sides of the ball but not for 129 snaps and not in that heat and humidity. And a, it and was game, over 100 degrees in the second half. And a game of half. that pace in and which you are on the, field. the best defensive player on the team and arguably the best offensive weapon on the team, save the quarterback. I had no idea, and I'd be interested to hear your view of this. I knew he'd play a little on offense, but... How many passes did he catch last year at Jackson State? Not a lot. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't it was anything like, 18, like this. It was like eight, I believe it? it was eighteen. He caught eleven on sixteen targets. Yeah, for hundred nineteen. They had yards. him in uh, last year in about roughly forty percent of the offensive snaps. Uh, he at was State. he was out there. Whatever hundred twenty nine snaps adds up to is a percentage Most. of plays in the game. <laughs> the vast uh, majority. He got a little bit of a breather and. We, we didn't see this in the game, obviously, uh, when we were uh, in the stands, but we watched the game afterwards uh, back at the house, and we saw him do a post-game interview. It, you'd have thought he just jogged a lap around the field. Yeah. How fresh he looked and sounded. He wasn't the least bit tired. Now, I don't know if he can do that 11 or maybe now 12 more times. Right. Lest we dream, maybe more than twelve. But he anyway, he can. I he thinks he can. He thought it was no big deal, and even Sanders was standing next to him because they were both being interviewed after the game, and Sanders is looking at him like, "You you aren't human." Yeah, I mean that's a superhuman athletic feat in that heat and humidity, the likes of which I don't know that I've ever seen in my life, and I'm sixty six years old. I couldn't believe he kept going out there on offense. Now, I knew he'd play on defense. And you could see on the, on the television broadcast kind of huffing and puffing a little here and oh, there. Maybe. I, I mean, they but take it, him out maybe for a play yeah, or two. A play and then, then he's back in. they put him back in. Yep. And they're throwing him the ball. 16 times they threw him the ball. I mean, he only attempted 47 passes. More than a third of Shadur's passes were directed at Travis Hunter. And... Beyond Travis Hunter, he and Sanders weren't the only stars. And 
I, I understand the traditionalists believe that the games are won, and that was my theory, that they lose probably because they weren't as good in the trenches. Uh, TCU has a good offensive line. Uh, defensive line, they got a stud on the nose. He was invisible throughout the game. <laughs> you never heard his name called on the PA system or or, or by Gus Johnson or uh, Joel Klatt doing the game on Fox. Um, they, they had a linebacker uh, who's close to being all Big 12, who's a really good player and was outstanding in the first half. The second half, he was so exhausted, he was trying to chase down uh, guys like Edwards when they were running for touchdowns. It, it was a joke. Yeah. Well, he, he couldn't do it. And you were talking about they, Johnny Hodges, who was a, he's a well-regarded linebacker. Yeah. player. He's, you know, he's probably first, second team all Big 12. Yep. And he might even be on an All-American list somewhere. But I'll tell you what, um, in a second, he got tired. And they're supposed to be used to the heat and humidity. CU's not supposed to be used to 100-plus degrees and that kind of humidity. It was just unbelievable to watch Sanders and Travis Hunter and Jimmy Horn and Xavier Weaver and Dylan Edwards. All five were amazing. And they won that game because they had more star power. They Mm -hmm. had those five guys, and they were the five best football players on the field. It wasn't any of the linemen. It wasn't any of the linebackers. It wasn't a, a, a tight end, uh, although they had a tight end. Who's oh. six seven two six. That touchdown he, he like pulled in. Six, 10, Jared, six, Jared Wiley, the uh, one-handed a, grabbing at the end zone. Was he's a remarkable player. But th- there was there was no doubt by the end of that game that CU had, had more playmakers, more talent mm-hmm. at the playmaking positions. And the interception Hunter made was as good as any of his receptions on offense. It, the best catch of the day was oh, Hunter's it, it was interception. Pick. Absolutely. Not, not any of the 11 receptions he made. And, and, and that was a fantastic play and a pivotal play in the game. Without that play, if that play goes for a touchdown, I think CU loses I do maybe too. not by 20, but probably by two and touchdowns. on that play, I, w- I want to focus on that one because if you go back and look at it, the idea, of course, with bringing in all these transfers, well, you weren't going to have time to get them to gel. It was going to be hard getting them on the same page, all that sort of stuff. Charles Kelly, the defensive coordinator, did a nice job with that game. He did. But on that play, Shiloh Sanders is is one of the safeties uh, hovering in the middle. By the way, he had, well, by the way, 10, had 10, tackles. 10 tackles, nine solo. Uh, he was excellent. Right. He was excellent as well. And so was the kid from Texas who was one of the few holdovers, Woods, yeah, Trevor Woods. the team last year. I thought Trevor Woods well, was Well, and Woods was the other guy. So Shil- uh, Shiloh Sanders and Trevor Woods, who had the interception earlier, are on that coverage. What happened is on that, that play, they sent two guys uh, that are on the right side in that slant back inwards. And the idea was you drag Travis Hunter, would, was supposed to come along one of them, and then that would free up space for the running back out of the backfield. The Instead, once the two receivers slanted over and they and the safeties, Woods and Sanders, saw the running back leak out. They it, it wasn't just Hunter who read that play. All three of them read that play. The safeties rotated to the closest receiver to the Shiloh Sanders held his position. 
brought let the the inside receiver come to him. Woods played the who was then the outside receiver that was on Hunter, freeing Hunter to pick up the, the running back and make the break and make that pick. That was all three guys in that defensive backfield, which means they have gotten some outstanding coaching. They're all making the right reads, and they already believe that the other guy is also going to make the right reads in real time. It took all three of those defensive backs to believe that the uh, that the other two guys were going to do what they were supposed to do and reading the play simultaneously. All three of them did they, it. They were electric, they were patient, and they were smart. And they were the more dynamic of the two teams. They were the more patient of the two teams. They were the smarter of the two teams. And you know the old saying that uh, dumb gets you beat more than smart wins. Well, I don't think TCU played a dumb game, but I know this. CU played a smart game. Now, to break down Shadir Sanders real quick here before we bring in Dr. Rick Perea in a few minutes, he threw 47 passes. He threw to the right receiver 47 times yes. out of 47. He made, he now, made, made, he made two or three throws that weren't great right. throws. But the reads were all correct. He threw to the right guy. I didn't see a single bad read. Every single time. Not one. 47 for 47. Now, imagine this. You give up 541 yards. You give up 6.8 yards per play. You give up 42 points. Your offense generally, and your quarterback in particular, they have to be on the beam all the time. And, I mean, you're throwing 47 times. And the rushing stats, I thought, were a bit misleading, although there's no question that TCU had more Oh, well, their two uh, best players are Bailey and Sanders. Yeah, those are their the two ground, best offensive players. Right, than that, that, CU did. But you have to remember, Shadir took six sacks, I believe, in the game. Five or six. And they were all what I call good sacks because the other alternative was throwing the ball up for grabs. Yeah. And so the sack yardage in College football is taken away from your, your rushing yardage, right. not, your not your passing yardage. So the six sacks killed their rushing stats. When they were actually handing the ball off and running with it, they they weren't bad. They just didn't do it a lot. And the thing that impressed me about Sanders was that he could move, but he never panicked. He wasn't moving to run. He was moving to buy he's, time he's in time. order it, it's, to throw and extend play. In my notes, I even wrote it down. He moves like Aaron Rodgers. He's not going out there to run. He's right. going out there to give his receiver a little more time to make a play. He made one mistake when scrambling uh, when he ran out of bounds instead of ditching it, and that pushed the field goal three yards further back, and it ended up being blocked. But yeah, but well, we'll, might have been blocked. But we'll yeah. hear from Shadur Sanders later in the program because he talked about the difference between FCS football and Power 5 football, and you're going to love the answer because it was the only thing in my notes that I wrote as a question mark in his game, and he addressed it. But you know what? He said this in the interview after the game. He said, I never came close to throwing for 500 yards. No. On the FCS level, supposedly the inferior brand of football, I never came close to throwing for 500 yards. And in his first FBS game, he sets a CU, obviously, 
a CU passing record for a single game. He's already, I don't know what the all-time yardage record for passing is at the University of Colorado, but for a single season. Right. For a single season. But I have a feeling he's more than 20% he's going to of the way there. <laughs> Absolutely. After one game, he's about one-fifth of the way to the all-time single-season passing yardage record. The record is Sefo Lufau, by the way, okay. 3,200. So 3,200. So he's about a sixth of the way. Oh, I there. exaggerated. He's about a sixth of the way. You think he has a shot? Shot. At 3,200, if he doesn't get hurt, he may have that by midseason. Yeah, very well. May, very well, maybe. We'll check in with our friend Dr. Rick Perea. You know, it's not Monday because you were off Monday, hopefully. It's Tuesday, but Dr. Rick will join us next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Dr. Rick Bray will join us in a little bit. By the way, uh, Smash Mouth there, Steve Harwell passes away over the long holiday weekend. Their lead singer, uh, Jimmy Buffett, of course, did as as well. And uh, yeah, we had a few Jimmy uh, Buffett tributes. I would imagine. Down in the Lone Star State. As well as uh, Gary Wright, the... Rather important, uh, really, the, the guy who kind of led the movement of synthesizers into rock music in the 1970s right. passes away this morning uh, as well. So, uh, obviously, a, a rough weekend for music. I but think we, we uh, had a Jimmy Buffett tribute at the uh, baseball game oh, I yesterday. Can only imagine, I yeah. went uh, out to uh, Arlington to watch the Rangers and the Astros. A lot of home runs in that ballpark, indoors, and uh, the ball carries well. But, uh, I can see, you know, I don't like indoor baseball, but in Texas, you've got to have Well, it. you just talked about the 130-degree <laughs> heat on the field. Yeah, I, I mean, you can't do that 81 you, you times a you year. You can't play baseball every day in that kind of heat and humidity. So, uh, actually, uh, we were seated about 30 yards from the entrance slash exit. So, uh, <laughs> we... Uh, and it's a, it's a terrific facility, of course. AT&T Stadium is right there in the same lot, just right across the way. And um, had a good time. We enjoyed it. But there's nothing like the experience of watching that football game on uh, Saturday. And I am certainly not the first to say it. Others who watched maybe even more college football than I watched this weekend have said it. The story in football. Right now is Deion Sanders and the University. I'm glad you pointed that out. All of football, football, NFL included. Right, football. This was the biggest story. The big story. It was arguably the biggest story in sports over the course of the the Labor Day weekend. Period. And you talked about it earlier, Sandy. Shooter Sanders after the game had a chance to talk about a few things, of course. And you talked about it earlier that. In Deion Sanders' case, the idea of how it was all going to come together was going to be too quick. Too many players came in, and that things would be different when you got to this level. Well, uh, obviously, there's no shortage of confidence in the Sanders family, but I guess you'd have confidence. As Sean Payton says, what, confidence comes from 
demonstrated, demonstrated ability. ability. Well, Shiloh Sanders had 10 tackles. Shiloh Sanders set the passing record. Uh, the Deion Sanders broke all the uh, norms for the transfer portal and walked away with the biggest win and becoming now the biggest story in sports. The Buffs now ranked, by the way, 22nd in the country in You AP. called that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I was texting with you and said that. I think I said I think I said if they start out three and zero, they'll definitely be ranked. But they if they're not this week, and I think a couple shakeups there. Both Duke and Colorado. Yeah, Duke last night knocks off uh, moved into the knocks number uh, Clemson number nine off. Yep. But Shadur talked about the idea of maybe this shouldn't have been as big a shock to people as it would have been. Not just because Dion's warned everybody, but that's just who he is. Today was just, it was like practice. A lot of y'all ain't believe in us. Even everybody asking me questions right now, which is crazy because you just got to understand our coach, Coach Prime, my dad. Everywhere he went, he was a winner. Every game, every opportunity, he took advantage of it. So a lot of y'all don't have, I'll say, the same knowledge and the same experience that he has. So how could y'all question what he's saying? He been out there. He got a gold jacket. He playing Super Bowls. A lot of people haven't, you know? So I feel like now y'all understand that what he's saying is real, and y'all understand what he's saying. And yes, I'm, I came from an FCS school, SWAC school, but to me, it's no difference. Them hits still feel the same. Well, it looked the same. Obviously, and and, Looks and better, <laughs> and there's there is an argument to be made there. Now, I've, I've you know I've never bought into only players of a sport can talk about a sport, and right, that that's yeah. sort of that's sort of the stuff that happens when you're sort of baked into that world. I get it, but uh, Rich Eisen after the game had a, a tweet where he kind of made that same point, saying according to my research, and I don't have it right in front of me, but Deion Sanders mm-hmm. is the first head coach to take over a one win program in the Power Five that brought in 87 transfers that also uh, was the first ballot NFL Hall of Famer and hit 533 in, in the World Series in his career. And um, at, at a certain point, I, I think people have to understand that this is going to work. And I, I think, you know, you and I have talked about this the whole time. I don't know if he's going to end up as one of the greatest coaches in history, but his style of coaching at the collegiate level in the 2020s this style does and will work. He is basically doing, and I am not making the comparison. Nobody do nobody do this. I'm not making the comparison. But what Deion Sanders does in handing game day control to his coordinators yes, very is much what so. Nick Saban does. Seems to work fine for yeah, him. Yeah, I, I would say with Deion, it, it's it's more Bill McCartney than Nick Saban. It's it's really I, I'm in charge He's of expectation. He's the pitch I'm, man. I'm the salesman. I'm the pitch man. And when somebody fumbles, I'm going to go up to that Give player hug. and hug him and say that everything's all right. When one of their running backs gets hurt on the field, I'm going to go out there and make sure that that running back knows that uh, I care about him. The other coaches out there, I'll give him a hug, too, while I'm at it during the game. Something you don't see every day. Uh, I, I didn't see uh, Norvell and Kelly hugging the other night. Right. When LSU was getting blown out by uh, Florida State, uh, they're pretty good friends from what we could gather watching the pregame show. Um, uh, Dykes got a job that Dion kind of wanted, reportedly at, at one point, but Dion doesn't. Well, he was he was definitely Dykes. interested in being 
in Texas where yeah. he has lived sure. a tremendous oh, oh, of amount course. of time. And that was the other element uh, the other day that produced some uh, interesting uh, reaction because Dion certainly was a major success story as a player sure. during his years in uh, Dallas and has spent a lot of time in Texas, loves recruiting Texas. And he is very, very well thought of by a lot of people. Uh, he's also curiously dismissed by a lot of people because as a player, he did bounce around mm-hmm. and played for so when he joined the Cowboys, teams. the Cowboys were a good team and the Cowboys were, were already right. champions right. when Dion joined. So I can get uh, how it happens. Th- th- there's yeah. a little bit of a mixed feeling there, but I'll tell you what, after the game, the media scrum around Deion Sanders on the field, it was like a national championship game. Yeah. It really was. It was the same. There would not have been a greater media response post game had that game been for the national championship. And you're talking about a team that, at least last year, was the national runner up. Now, they were a good deal behind Georgia, but uh, they did so beat was everybody, Michigan. Though. They did beat Michigan and put 51 on, on Michigan. Uh, they only put 42 on Colorado. And uh, I'm I'm sure that most people going into the season thought not only this year, but last year, too, Michigan was a heck of a lot better on offense than CU would be in 2023. That that was the amazing part, how, how well they were coordinated, how well they were coached on, on yes, fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And if you want to know, um, you know, two probably more celebrated coaches than Deion Sanders, Brian Kelly and Dabo Sweeney. Now, Kelly hasn't won anything, and I think he's overrated, but Sweeney has won two national mm-hmm. championships at Clemson. And their teams, if Deion Sanders' CU Buffs had played the way Clemson played and played the way LSU played. Oh, we'd be talking about how this was a terrible hire and everyone would be jumping all well, over how bad I, a choice it was. I don't know we'd was, talk about a terrible hire, but we'd be saying it was all they got out hype, a little right. ahead of their skis. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Uh, and it's time to realize Clemson that was winning, embarrassing. winning three or four games will be just fine. And now the 22nd ranked team in the country. Well, I mean, look, look at this. And I mean, they have gone in the space of less than 72 hours. Well, I guess it's 72 hours now. From being a 10-point mm-hmm. underdog to a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Yep. In 72 hours. When does that ever happen in the history of bookmaking? In the history well, put of it, odds, put it this way: over in the NFL, in seventy-two hours from a ten-point underdog to a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Travis Kelsey got hurt t- today in practice for the Chiefs, and he may not play in the season opener. Yeah. I, I, uh, they I don't, bet he will play. They don't have Christian, but I mean that that moved the line. But it did just the just a hyper-extended Ke- knee. Kelsey moved did, the but line. it moved it two points, yeah. not twelve. <laughs> what you're talking 12, about. 12, yeah. 12 and a half. Yeah. And Kelsey is not only Patrick Mahomes' best weapon, but one of the most dynamic weapons in all of football, and it moved it too. The idea here for the Buffs, and look, I, I don't want to start going bonkers about it because I still think it, what's worth noting, by the way, that no team in the soon-to-be defunct Pac-12 has lost. They yeah. are 13-0. 13-0, and, and that was the other story. 
but for the first time since the 1930s. Without Colorado beating TCU. Right, but it shows that the there is the Pac-12 is explosive. It is high scoring. It is yep. loaded with quarterbacks. Uh, that said, and, and by Sugar the way, Sanders, by the way, Sandy gets the offensive player of the week in the Pac-12. Yeah. Travis Hunter gets defensive player of the week in the Pac-12. Yeah, could have been Dylan Edwards gets freshman of the week in yeah. the Pac-12. Right. I think we know where this is right. going. Um, listen, um, Pac-12 is going away at the end of this year. We all know. But when people say, well, there's no defense in the Pac-12, have you watched Big 12 football lately? Tell me who plays defense in the Big 12 because it ain't Oklahoma. And it really isn't Kansas State. They're good teams. Texas, we'll see what happens when Texas goes up against Alabama on Saturday. Yeah, but of course, by the time CU gets there, they'll be out of the conference. But but I'm just saying (laughs) they don't play any defense. Since when have they played any defense it, in recent years at Oklahoma or Texas? Football has, and, it, and it bubbled up from so college. I don't want to hear the Pac-12 there's to no the pros. Defense. College football is about offense, beginning and ending. Uh, it, it, they are able to be more creative. You have you have receivers that can make a catch with only one foot inbounds. It lends itself to better and more explosive offensive football. And some of those principles have bubbled their way up to the NFL, and that's why you're seeing some of the explosions there too. But uh, that's why I think when you're looking at the weakness for CU and you look at this game, uh, the defensive line, and there were concerns on both sides of the line, the defensive line did look like they were going to have challenges over the course of the year. Now, granted, to be yeah. totally fair, oh, Amani no, Bailey that's, that's, and Trey Sanders are very good backs, very good backs. Sanders especially is a, a load, three touchdowns. But the offensive line was much better yeah. than I think everyone it, expected. It, it, it was not great. But it held up surprisingly well. And in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, the old Bill Walsh line about the key to winning football games. Now, I know he was talking specifically about the NFL, but I think it applies to college football, too, is having a fourth quarter pass rush. And CU, on its last defensive series, did put pressure on Morris, did put pressure on him that uh, maybe hadn't been there for most of the day. But they had the better fourth quarter pass rush. Yeah, and, 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 and that's there was, a credit there to was an offensive line, which had to be feeling the heat literally, mm-hmm. and held up well. Actually, did better at the end of the game in protecting Shadur Sanders than it had at times in the first half. And and uh, the defensive pressure ratcheted up a little bit. Charles Kelly, the defensive coordinator, changed that up. Uh, Deion Sanders talked about it even uh, as well. Saying Kelly called, uh, in fact, even Sanders was great, not good, great. Yeah. game well, defensively. I, I thought so, and it, it goes without saying that the offensive play calling was exquisite throughout. But you're, you're, it, it's a new offense at CU now. I had it's a, an offense that we really haven't seen I was ta- texting as you were, too. Of course, you probably less so you're at the, the stands watching it, but uh, watching on television, obviously, my phone was going off, and I did have uh, one person pointed out, it's like, Sean Lewis looks like Sean McVay. Like, this, this guy... It's fun. Now you, it's now fun. you know. Now, of course, it's fun when it, when it, when it works. works. And it certainly worked the other day. CU will play better defensive teams than TCU in certainly. 2023. They certainly will. And even Nebraska might be a better defensive team than, than TCU. But Nebraska doesn't have the talent on offense that TCU has. And Nebraska has this curious way of blowing close games and snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. 
I'm not sure, and you're not either, that the game Saturday will in fact be a close game I in any case. don't think it will at all, based on what I saw this weekend. We'll find out. Obviously, you know, it, it just this was just college. Pro comes back this week to everybody, so why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book. That's Superbook Sports this fall. Superbook is the book next door, a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure that you get the best prices on parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code MILEHIGH. So bet with the best and use promo code MILEHIGH this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, this is your show, too. Football season is upon us, and the excitement is definitely here. The Buffs got the job done, and the Broncos are coming up. It is Raiders week. Arn Anderson will join us in just uh, a little bit at the top of the hour, but want to know what you think as well. 303-831-1340 is the number. We'll be back with more on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar on Mile High Sports. The Colorado Buffaloes are ranked 22nd in the country in the on merit, rankings. By the way, oh, yeah. they could be higher. Certainly. And so could Duke, as a matter of fact. Both could be inside the top 20, honestly. Well, because they played. Legitimate teams. If they play the Bucks win on Saturday against the Cornhuskers, they will be in the top twenty. And and it doesn't matter what you think of Nebraska. No, if they go two and zero and even three and zero after beating CSU, which seems a given, unfortunately. Um, I say unfortunately because that's better know, when like it's a good see game. A yeah, good game. It's better and when it's I'm a good not, game. I'm not sure CSU belongs in the same field with with, with CU, but uh, you know, three and zero is great. Um, winning at Oregon will still be a challenge, and beating USC uh, here at the end of the month will be difficult. There's plenty of tough games left in the schedule. Lots of tough games uh, they and have, lots of real good quarterbacks. As it stands right now, four ranked teams left on the schedule, and not just ranked, but ranked no lower than 16 right. left on the right. schedule. Right. Uh, it is going to be a bear, but... But now six wins, definitely in play. Definitely in play. And maybe a winning season. We'll right. see. And that would obviously be remarkable. Well, we heard a little bit from Shooter Sanders talking about the idea that uh, they expected it because this is just how it's worked, that Deion Sanders wins. He wins everywhere, and that's how it goes. But talked about uh, the opening game and how, how big it was, but at the same time, what you're kind of getting the vibe here is that as much that Deion Sanders works to hype his players up, whether publicly and privately, when the cameras are on, but even even when they're off, but the expectation is you still have to just go play football, and while it sounds odd to be able to hype guys up all the time and yet keep them on an even keel, that seems to be maybe Deion's kind of magic. It just feels like another day in the office. We did it last year. If you go back and look up the numbers from last year, they was pretty high. Versus fam, you, so you knew you should have known. Number game one is a lot for sure. <laughs> you should have knew that. I got too much time to prepare, too much time to focus. Uh, our OC coach Sean Lewis had too much time. Didn't treat it as if it was anything 
outlandish that they they won, but also not you know super crowing overboard like another said there another day at the office. It's not another day at the office. It, he's he's the point man on the field well, for the the most I, I just singular thought, you know, talent overturn in history. All, all of us, all of us, were skeptical to varying degrees. Mm-hmm. And just the the idea of putting together a team in such short order with so many new players. And it, you'd be wise to to doubt it. I mean, it's unprecedented. When things are unprecedented, the assumption should not be it will work. <laughs> it should be quite the opposite well, until proven otherwise. I was watching Mike Greenberg, um, I think this morning, on our way back. And on ESPN, first take, uh, he was talking about how this is the brave new world of college football now. Absolutely. Okay. But he was reminded there's only one Deion Sanders. Right. And another coach assigned the responsibility of putting a team together with 87 transfers. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or new players, I guess. Better way of putting it. Wouldn't wouldn't be able to pull it off. That's the thing. It's and they have a hell of a coaching. You staff. have to we be able to that. do the it. The first job he had before he made any changes at all was putting together a coaching staff. And uh, frankly, and now that there's been this terrific piece done by Seth Wickersham, which we'll talk later about uh, in greater detail on Sean Payton. Uh, Sean Payton was turned down by a couple of coaches he wanted to hire. Mm-hmm. because they know how Sean Payton works, and they know it's football morning, noon, and night. And they had been around him before, and they just didn't want to go through that again. And he's a tough guy to work for. Sean Payton is more Nick Saban than Deion Sanders by a long shot. Right. Deion Sanders put together an incredible staff that yeah. I thought at first glance is better than the staff that Sean Payton put together. Uh, although Sean Payton probably would have preferred to have had a, a couple of coaches who, who did turn him down. I'm not aware that anybody turned down Deion Sanders, the, including the head coach at Kent State right, last who, year, who, yeah, who took Lewis, a lesser job Sanders to come out here. Now, probably the money was, <laughs> it was better, a little better well, here, and, um, but, but still you're giving up a way. head coaching job where you've done a good job mm-hmm. and you're giving up a head coaching job for a coordinator, but it took exactly position. one game to show a, that at uh, least for a team that won one and eleven. At least if he's if the plan is to continue going forward in his career, it was already the right move because the attention you get at Kent State, despite the fact it was good. Oh, of uh, course. Here he but is. You've got to here win. he is you've calling these plays in this game on that stage, and uh, Sean Lewis is all of a sudden going to be one. Of I um I like immediate hot name his around play the, calling better than the much acclaimed. Uh, Coach Bryles on the other side. Yeah. The new offensive coordinator at TCU, who is already, <laughs> not surprisingly, uh, drawn some criticism from the TCU faithful. Although he did put 42, uh, his team did put 42 it's, points. It is, it is hard not to say that they should have the run the football more. Well, the best, the thing that you were actually, doing the best at. I thought they ran the football too much especially at the end of the game. Uh, there's no excuse. I mean, none 
when you get over midfield and the clock is running now outside of Correct. two minutes after first downs yep. and out of bounds plays, they don't stop it on first downs at all. And it's like the NFL now on out of bounds plays until the last two minutes. Then it's the old college rules again. But outside of the two minute period, he wasted two minutes running the football. And then for reasons known only to him, started to get cute. It's first and 10. He runs the ball twice. And and Kelly's ready for his calls. They stop him cold. And on third down, they throw a, a pass that's off target. And on fourth down, uh, they can't get the necessary yardage because Kelly's got the right defense called. And the ball can't be thrown down the field. They throw it to the big tight end, and uh, CU's able to get him down before he gets the nine and a half, ten yards, whatever was necessary uh, for the first down. I, I thought incredibly smart play calling by the defensive coordinator and uh, a case of the cutesies for the new offensive coordinator. Give the University of Colorado credit because during this hiring process, and I, I, I – Talked to a lot of people about it. And it, it was reported in, in places, too, that Deion Sanders was asking for a, at least what mo- the, the few universities that nibbled, what was considered a somewhat outlandish assistant coach pool of money. Well, yeah. And it, it kept... And he took less than he could have gotten. It kept schools away, and the one school with the foresight to actually understand how Deion Sanders would coach and said, here it is. Because Sanders wanted reportedly roughly about $7 million a year in assistant coaching salaries, which uh, you can understand. You know, there are coaches that make that much. There's not that many. That seems like a very big pool. But give the Buffs credit because they not only realized this will really help Sanders maximize his ability, but this probably seals the deal for us. And it did. More than just about anything, that's what landed Deion Sanders in Boulder. One one of the nice scenes on the field afterwards was Rick George and and Deion Sanders embracing. And I'll tell you what, Rick George recruited Deion Sanders. Mm -hmm. And part of the recruitment was not just shoving a boatload of money at Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders makes $10 million a year. Outside of coaching, it was he it was confidence. He doesn't need, faith. need the money, but Rick George understood that Deion Sanders is going to hire a top-flight staff if given the money, and he's going to, to let it. them do what they and do. He's going to hire at least one head coach who will need to be paid more than most mm-hmm. FBS offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators make, for that matter. Kelly was a top-flight coach, though he was not a coordinator, a top-flight coach for Saban. At Alabama, I saw him work last year in person. I knew all about him. Well, when he moved to Colorado, I knew all uh, about Nick him. Saban congratulated him as Absolutely. you expected, but you could also tell that Saban was a little disappointed to lose him. Well, yeah, but Nick Saban couldn't make him a coordinator. Right. And Deion Sanders could. But you've got to have money for that. And Rick George understood that. First, that's any good coach, first and foremost, is going to make sure his assistants are taken care of financially. And if they're not, or if they're otherwise mistreated, that head coach has to be willing to leave on principle. 
and not sacrifice his assistant coaches for his own interests. That happens a lot. That happens a whole lot, and it is very unusual, and only the great coaches do it. Listen, Deion Sanders isn't a great coach after one FBS game. Nope. But the great coaches do what he does and say, I want my assistants taken care of first and foremost. That's more important than whether I make $8 million a year or $6 million a year or $10 million a year. I want my assistants paid. And what is that, And Bill? paid well. Loyalty. So they stay. Right. And they know, those assistants, that I have their back. When they're hired, they see what they're making, and they know I had something to do with getting them that money. They also know the athletic director is savvy enough to understand that Deion Sanders coaches in a certain way. He is not a one-man they saw band. saw a bigger picture. He is not they a one-man band. And Rick George not only got Deion Sanders probably against the odds. Oh, uh, certainly. Uh, you know, although Rick George also understood, you know, other FBS schools may take a glance, but they really none of them will be as serious as I am. They had nothing left to lose. Luring Deion Sanders. And they got it done, and, and you can tell even when the two men talk about each other, they understand how they the other works. Other. They get they it, get and it. that's a good sign, too. We'll turn our attention, because it is, by the way, Raiders Week. The Broncos open on Sunday at home against the Raiders. Our friend for Fox 31, Aaron Anderson, will join us to talk about it next. <laughs> 